Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to The Left Wing with me, Rory O'Connor, the Irish Independence Chief Rugby Correspondent. I'm standing here for Will Slattery this week. Uh, he's hors de combat, but we've loads and loads of rugby news and views to talk about from Ulster's magnificent win over Leinster, the Munster being stranded in South Africa, and Connacht's brilliant victory over Ospreys, which sets up another great game at the RDS this Friday when they come back hoping to do the double against Leinster, having beaten them earlier this year. I'm joined, as ever, by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley from the Belfast Telegraph. Don't forget to get in touch with the show with your questions or comments. We're all on Twitter, and you can use the left wing, hashtag the left wing, to let Luke know what you think. Luke, it's been a mad week. We'll come to what happened at the RDS on Friday night in a little while, but I think there's only one place to start. Um, Munster's went to the or like this time last week you were probably previewing Munster's games you know in South Africa against the Bulls and the Lions the first time the Irish provinces had made their way to the Rainbow Nation to play but for those players and that management team who went over to play two games of rugby and have been stuck in a hotel quarantining after a number of positive cases the onset of the Omicron the variant in, in South Africa it's just been a crazy, crazy time. And I suppose it's just kind of a big reminder to us all that this hasn't gone away and that, like, you know, it's just nothing is normal yet. Look, it, it does seem like the right place to start, given the, the, the ramifications as well. They haven't played for quite a long period of time now. Um, you know, I think we saw a little bit of that with, um, with Leinster, less so Ulster. Ulster looked really, really up for it, but Leinster certainly looked like they were, they were off their best um, and, and left wanting and looked like they were behind the pace. Um, but I would say Munster, I think, will uh, will find themselves in that boat, come into, as you say, an extremely important uh, period of games. Like this kind of 10 period of games or 10 games upcoming really do set up like your whole season. Um, so they're all, as I said, they're behind the eight ball at this stage and they really need to regroup quickly um, and uh, get some training under their belt at least uh, before uh, before the games or the upcoming games, because. Um, you know, they'll have had, look, some of their, some of their, their seasoned guys, the, the internationals uh, will have had some rugby and you'd hope that they'll be able to kind of lean on that experience and that little bit of, um, I suppose, rugby fitness that those guys will have uh, to maybe get the group through this initial, you know, two, three games that are very, very important for them. So, yeah, look, it throws it into disarray, but it can also bring a squad together, um, you know, these kind of challenging periods. So there's, there's two sides to that coin. And a lot of it will be how, you know, or sorry, it'll be down to the players, but also to how the coaching staff frame this. And um, yeah, look, I think a uh, big test for them coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks, Rory, yeah, sure. Jonathan, as it stands, depending on what when they land and all that sort of thing, it looks like they may have to play Wasps in the first round of the Champions Cup with a team 
with about 10 internationals who were involved in November and, and you know, basically went on holidays last week and, and we're going to be flown out to South Africa last Saturday. And then the remainder of the team will be made up of, of you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds from the academy, many of whom will be making their debuts for the province. And they're depending on EPCR, uh, the Eleanor in France and top four, uh, sorry, and the Premiership, allowing them to add one or two bodies to their squad as well, from maybe from the AIL, maybe, I don't know, like players from around the place. They do have a player actually at Wasps, Alex McHenry, who's on loan there. I don't know if they'll be able to recall him. If, if like they need a bit of goodwill to get, even get this across the line. It's an, it's an incredible prospect. I mean, it would be the most monster story of all for that band of kind of ragtag band. I know there's some great players in there to go over to the, it's not the Rico arena anymore, but go to Coventry and beat Wasps away from home. And Wasps aren't the best team in the competition, but, like what a scenario! It's just I Munster always do drama, but this is this has gone well beyond where we normally are with them. Yeah, it does feel like it would be hugely on brand, doesn't it, for uh, for them to go over and win? And I mean, as you say, like Wasps haven't been any great shakes this year, but a lot of the defeats that they've had in England have been by fairly narrow margins, and it is a difficult a difficult place to go. And we're again in the same situation that we were in last year, where we're talking about what essentially boils down to competitive integrity of what is the Northern Hemisphere's premier club competition because the way that this competition is structured this year, we're talking about even if it's only for one game and there's nothing to say it will be for one game because it, it could have a knock-on effect into that cast game, that's 25% of Munster's pool. That's 25% of whether they make the knockouts in Europe or not is down to this one game and you're going to be in a situation where you could have a team that's eight guys that are massively experienced Irish internationals and seven guys that have one or two monster outings between them, if even that. So it's a huge knock-on effect into the entire Champions Cup season and in a year when we were really hoping that we weren't going to have these sort of issues given how much Europe was essentially ruined last year. That's a good point, Jonathan. I mean, Luke, I mean, both competitions, I think there's going to be ramifications from, from this scenario if, if Munster are only able to field you know, that, that collection of players. And also, th- there's just huge question marks about whether the South African teams are going to be able to participate, participate fully in this tournament in the URC beyond this, this window because travel is just, it's, it's all up in the air again. Yeah, look, I think they were, they were really struggling anyway. And I think they really needed these home games to get some kind of foothold in the competition we were all kind of expecting them. I mean, they're all pretty much languishing down the end, bar Zebra. So um, they needed those home games. Um, I think the competition needed them to have those home games and to do well in them. Um, and yeah, look, extremely disappointing. And as look, we did, uh, myself and uh, Stephen Ferris were, were watching the Leinster Ulster match and we were kind of discussing, you know, how they go about this. Like there would have been a contingency plan last year, I think, to have them play the matches in Italy. Whether that's still in place, whether that's doable, whether you know, you know, Italian officials or just Italy in general will allow, you know, teams come in from South Africa where this variant seems to have originated um, into their country remains to be seen. So there's a lot of questions now that need to be answered. Um, I hope that they've kept some some kind of plan in place because um, it's quite clear, like the, you know, there's only 42 percent, I think, of the adult population in South Africa are vaccinated. So quite clearly, there's going to be like it's very high to my mind the biggest risk with all this stuff is that if you let people or countries go around you know without people being vaccinated and of course they might have the same access as we do in the more developed nations but if you let this happen 
there's going to continually be people catching the catching uh, you know COVID and probably developing some kind of variants. This doesn't look like this is going to go away anytime soon. Not to go too far in depth in that, but the problem. But I suppose the point I'm making is, you know, you'd want to keep kind of contingency plans in place for quite a long period of time if the vaccination numbers are going to be low and they're not getting access to vaccines out in Africa. So it's a big problem for the competition uh, going forward, and I just hope that they've got some kind of plan in place to allow them to play the games because they are they should add a lot to the competition once their season kind of sinks up a bit better and their South African players are more available to the teams, Rory. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll come to the RDS now in a second, but Jonathan, I think I'll jump ahead a little bit and, and ask you about Dwayne Vermeulen since we're on the COVID topic. We'll get all the COVID stuff out of the way, but Ulster's marquee signing, a World Cup winner, the man in a match in the World Cup final, was supposed to make his debut this weekend against the Ospreys, I, I think. He joined up with the Barbarians last weekend it, it's a, it's emerged that he's, he's tested positive. According to some sources in England, he tested positive last week. He's arrived in, he's quarantining in Belfast. He maybe will be available for Europe next week, but still, it must be a huge disappointment at Ulster. I'm sure you're trying to get to the bottom of, of what's happened yourself. What, what, what are you hearing about this story? Yeah, there is these mixed reports of whether or not he tested positive on arrival in Belfast or whether or not he was one of the players that had tested positive prior to that. And... It is, like you say, it's a huge disappointment because there was such buzz about seeing him out there early. I suppose to put it in a bit of perspective with a bit of um, context, he's not going to be out for particularly long. So, you know, we've seen instances with RG Snyman and Munster. We've seen instances with Marcel Katsia at Ulster, the, the guy that is, I suppose, Vermeulen's essentially replaced at Ulster where they missed massive, massive chunks of their first seasons because of injury. The reality of this situation is that he's essentially going to miss, I suppose, one game. It looks like that he would have played in. I think it would have been a big ask for him to play in that Ospreys game, given that he would have had to go through the protocols anyway. Ulster's off day is a Wednesday. So if he was to play against Ospreys, he would have only had one training session under his belt. So Claremont away always looked the more likely of the two for him to make his debut. And it, the belief seems to be that he will be okay to meet up with the team next week, hopefully with a view to playing in that Northampton game. So, I mean, it's more of a, it's more of a buzzkill than it is a massive setback more than anything else, because there has been such anticipation about seeing him play because Obviously, it was announced in September. It was always known that he was going to miss games through the Rugby Championship, through the Autumn Internationals. There was a fair amount of negativity around the idea that he was going to be playing in this Barbarians game anyway from Ulster fans who would have expect, expected fairly unrealistically, I think, that he could have played against Leinster. Leinster was all, always seen as this big game, but my understanding of it was... You don't need him anymore uh, for, for those days. So you got too much, in, <laughs> That's it. Too much firepower. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus Ray and Dave McCann do that job. It's fine. But um, <laughs> my understanding of it was that that was... The Barbarians thing was arranged so far before him signing for Ulster that he was always going to be involved in that. And while the optics of this are now terrible because he's come in unable to play essentially because of this trip, like you mentioned in the intro, Rod, you know, Ulster have had their own COVID problems in the last week anyway. So it's not, I suppose, a case of there was no way he was going to catch it here or anything like that. But it is obviously, it's just the delay, I suppose, to what is going to be a really anticipated debut is, uh, I suppose, where the disappointments come from. 
well, maybe you just didn't want to be after the Lord Mayor's show because on Saturday night, Ulster came down and did what they hadn't done for quite some time. A real monkey off their back by beating Leinster at the RDS. Leinster's fourth defeat at the RDS in 2022 or 2021, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct, Luke. But with folks on Ulster, I think, to start off because they did play very, very well. They deserved their win. They they went after Leinster's ball at the breakdown really, really well. They took their chances. They missed a couple of kicks, actually, to John Cooney. What did you make of it all, particularly from what Ulster did well to start off? We'll come to Leinster in a bit and what went wrong for them. But from what, what Ulster did well, what, what what's your perspective on that? I thought they were good at not getting caught on the touchline. And when they did, they got out of there quickly. So when, when, this is when they had the ball. I thought they went down. They used the short sides well and got back to the middle of the pitch, um, which kind of nullifies your line speed. Um, I thought they were really up for the contact area, far more so than Leinster. And they were very accurate there. Um, I thought their technique was good in there too. Looked like they'd had a good break. Um, and they, they they were just far more accurate. I mean, if you remember, like their last outing against Connacht, there was all sorts of weird tries going in. I, th- I thought they got bullied as well in that game. Um, it was the complete opposite. And it is funny, like when you start winning those tight exchanges, um, you know, and you start muscling up properly, you can kind of allow some of your some of your guys to be expressive. And they've got guys that can be very good on the front foot. And I thought they looked really good. I thought a few guys had standout performance. I thought McCann looked good. I thought actually Marty Moore had a really, really good shift around the pitch, I thought, which was good to see because I feel like he's maybe a guy who's, I mean, when he left Leinster, everyone was, he was a good bit ahead of Tyg uh, Furlong. And obviously those roles have reversed massively in recent times, but he was excellent, I thought, throughout. Um, and just generally across the pack, uh, they were really, really good. Um, and they they look they kind of outclassed Leinster, and I thought their mall looked very good as well. You know, they never really panicked. They held on to the ball for large periods of time, particularly in that first half, which just didn't really allow Leinster to get any foothold into the game. And even when Leinster did have their purple patch, what was really pleasing, I think, probably from an Ulster perspective, we we'll get Jonathan's view now. But I thought some of the young guys looked really, really sharp and and calm and composed in those periods, particularly young Doak who I just, every time I see him, are uh, you know, kind of more and more impressed with him. I mean, that pressure kick, that's something that I think Ulster teams maybe, uh, you know, in previous years might have missed that kick. For You know, it was kind of, they were still ahead, but it just gave him that little bit of comfort. And then even the kicks under pressure on his own line to take the pressure off the pack when they were under the cosh. Um, there was loads to like about that performance. And even the guys, the two guys in the centre, they, they were excellent, really physical, um, exactly what you want from them. Two big men. Uh, they set the tone in there. And then again, like nice for, for Hume to cap it off with that intercept at the end. Very sloppy by Leinster, I thought. But he was on the ball all night, uh, up for the fight. Very physical, like I said, alongside McCluskey. And they really set the tone. And that was, that was to my mind, there was all the, loads of those things that I thought you could really, really admire about that performance. was, And they can build on that going forward, I think. Jonathan, the RD, I don't know, can we overstate the significance of, of the RDS and, and winning there? I mean, it's, it's been Ulster's graveyard in recent years. Absolutely not. And it is a massive thing because it's Leinster as well. Like, you know, everyone always talks about Ulster's barn run against Leinster in the RDS, but it's actually only one year longer prior to this weekend than it had been since they'd won in Munster. But because Leinster have had such a huge impact on so many Ulster seasons, basically just going through that run of ending Ulster seasons, whether it be in Europe, whether it be in Pro 12, Pro 14 playoffs, that as much as Don McFarland says that Ulster are a side with no monkeys on their back, he hates that type of question. 
there can be absolutely no way that it doesn't have a psychological impact. And, you know, James Hume talked about it after the game. He had never been to the RDS and won before. Every time he played, it had been a negative memory. He couldn't even remember an Ulster side winning in the RDS because he was 14 or 15 the last time that it it had happened. And for them to be able to check that off the list, but also just to beat a good side again, like, Ulster at the start of the season were winning. They were winning well, not playing particularly well, but they weren't beating good sides. The first really good side they came up against was Connacht. Connacht beat them. You go back to last season, whenever it came to the crunch, they only lost two league games, but they were both against Leinster. The first properly decent team they played in the Challenge Cup, Leicester Tigers knocked them out. So they had gone on a real run of losing these important games, these big games. So to go down to the RDS as 15-point underdogs, to play a Leinster side that was missing a lot of players, but still had an awful lot of very good players in it as well. It's a massive thing moving forward, and especially this time of the season, because to be taking this into Europe, because if you lose this, if you, you had a loss that game, and then you're going into Europe, you've got Claremont away, you've got tough festive intercourse coming up. If you don't have that experience of winning a big game in the recent past in any way, it makes it a massive challenge. But it just showed as well, I thought, Jonathan, I don't know what you think as well, uh, Rudds. You know, rugby's not that complex, really. Like, if you get, if, if, if you, look, there's a, it's a technical game, certainly, but if you muscle up properly and you're up for the fight and you're, you're you know, you're, you're, you're on kind of in terms of the technical part of the thing, you know, you're, you're rooking and you're, and you're bits and bobs like that. Um, you know, you're a very hard team to beat straight away. And like, I thought they were really good defensively as well. Um, you know, Leinster didn't get much pay. And there was only one period in the game where I was thinking, mm, there's a bit of a tide here. I think this is the kind of game that Leinster in the past have kind of pulled through having not played great. And also have been on the back of a few of them. I think that's why, and I don't know what you think, John, the board, I would say there was a bit of a monkey there because like, if you think about it, like there's been a couple of occasions in this eight year period where Ulster have been in unbelievable positions against Leinster and just coughed it up um, and just not had the kind of, and it, it kind of looked like they weren't a big game team. Like they, it was like the occasion was too much for them. Um, kind of threw away like really kind of golden opportunities um, on a number of occasions. So I think this was a big win for them and they can hang their hat on, like half of it is just for them, I think, is about being consistent in areas that you can be consistent if you're mentally tough enough. Um, and I think that's a big step for them. The, the, the challenge for them now is can they can they go out and can uh, and, and repeat that week in, week out? Because as far as I could see, there was nothing like they didn't nothing groundbreaking about what they did. They're all things that you can repeat again. Like any thoughts on that, Rory? Oh no, I, th- I think it's no, it's, it's all, it's all, it's something. Basically, it's what Elster do next, really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's about building on it. It's, it's, you know, even I was doing the Connor presser today. They, they want to be known for more than one-off wins. So I think Ulster is the same thing. It's, it's going and doing it against Claremont and Northampton, getting enough points to get into Europe. Then it's coming back to the Interpros after Christmas. I think Dublin, or sorry, Leinster are up in the Kingspan over the Christmas period. It's beating them again. It's doubling down, and it's getting to knockouts, and then it's, it's, it's taking out big teams at that point. But this is a step along the way. This is a reference point that they can always go back to. So I think that that definitely is a point. I want to ask you, Jonathan, about James Hume a little bit because I, I think he's an embodiment of the the Ireland thing. You know, he's he spent the whole November kicking his heels, holding bags for for other lads. He comes up against Robbie Henshaw and he, and he and he and he I don't know if he edges the battle, but he plays really really well. 
How good is, is, is James Hume? And how much of a motivation do you think it is for those Ulster players who, you know, got, you know, Rob Herring's the same, Stuart McCluskey got overlooked in, 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 in those big selection calls over November? I think it was a huge thing because you mentioned the two guys there, Herring and McCluskey, like they maybe get overlooked a little bit just by virtue of having been around a bit more, but they were right there with Nick Timoney and James Hume among Ulster's best players. And those were the guys coming back in having not featured as much as they would have wanted to through November. And James Hume is very upfront about it afterwards. He said it was the most difficult three weeks that he's had through the course of his career because to this point through winning three schools cups within, you know, basically never tasting defeat in schools rugby, coming through the academy, playing Irish under-20s, admittedly um, having missed some caps there through injury establishing himself in the Ulster team, making the Ulster 13 jersey his own. Basically, every goal that he had set for himself, he had checked off at the time, in the time frame that he had set for himself to do it. So he had this period in November where he wanted to kick on. And by virtue of the strength and depth that Ireland have, he wasn't able to do it. Now, he still came back up the road thinking that he had showed Andy Farrell more than he had last summer, showed him that he's progressed. But to not be able to show that on the field was very frustrating for him. And I think the way that he played on Saturday, you could see how up for it he was. Like, I thought that he really led that defensive charge. Now, Luke said that there was you know nothing revolutionary about what Ulster did, and I think that's 100% right, because it was both an attack and defence, I think it was the simplest game plan that Ulster have tried to execute all season, but they just carried it out really, really well, especially in defence where they were just essentially just flirting with being offside the entire night to ensure that when Leinster's playmakers got on the ball, they didn't have the time to assess those options that they normally have. And Hume in the 13 jersey, I thought was right at the front of that, got his reward with that, uh, with the intercept try at the end, but the other part of his game was in the build-up to the Greg Jones try because that's something that he does so well. Those subtle, the subtle footwork, you know, basically, I think he just sort of hung Jordan Larmour out to dry essentially by making him think that he was going to come inside, run on that overs line. He didn't get over himself, but John Cooney then switches the play back to the other side and Greg Jones scores. So I think really Hume created both of Ulster's scores. And it's something that he has been doing essentially now for over a year because he came out of lockdown and as promising a prospect as he had been before. He wasn't an Ulster starter until he came back out of lockdown and he hasn't looked back since. What about Lancer, Luke? I thought they were really disappointing. I thought they looked like they could just show up um, and um, you know play a kind of loose game plan uh, against Ulster and go ahead and get the win. And that was it, just you know, kind of business as usual type performance our mindset going into the game uh, showed no respect for them. Didn't try and take them out in the tight exchanges. I mean, Leinster still, and Rory, you're tired of hearing me say this. I'm sure it's all about the pack for Leinster. Like Leinster's pack of all, like, like no matter what you say about their swashbuckling backs over the years, I include my own period when I was in Leinster, it was the Leinster pack that is so hard to contain. There's generally kind of 10, 10 internationals, 11 internationals in the whole squad. 
I thought they didn't they, they didn't look to try and go through Ulster at all or gain any respect in the tight exchanges before trying to go outside them. There was like kind of Hail Mary plays off step piece. The one that the, the grubber threw is the standout one for me, which I just I could not believe watching that. I just thought that was an act of disrespect nearly. Even the last try for um, Hume, while it was great opportunism by him, look, it was a little bit of inexperience because Osborne threw the pass. But you're playing against professional rugby players. You could see how close they were to think that they wouldn't be able to pick off a pass like that or you'd be able to throw a pass like that against a professional rugby player. To my mind, it's just it was kind of arrogant nearly. So I think they have lots to be very disappointed about. As Leo Cullen said himself, and it's fairly obvious with this new uh, URC competition, a lot of these players are kind of, you know, behind kind of other players in the pecking order and won't get opportunities or won't get that many opportunities this year. So this was an opportunity miss for lots of those guys. And I thought they were really poor. I thought they, um, they were pretty passive in defense as well. Um, but their rucking particularly, I thought, was awful. They're quite, I mean, the amount of penalties they gave away, I didn't agree with every decision and possibly some of the offside line. I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't happy with that uh, for, for most of guys. I'm sure Leinster won't be. Um, but that was because Ulster were up for it. Leinster weren't up for it, I didn't think. Um, and I thought that was very evident in their body positions and their rucking. Um, just not enough respect for Ulster. Not enough respect for the graft that you have to put in to, 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 to win an Interpro. Um, so very, very disappointed for them. And they have to go back to the drawing board now. Um, the good thing for them is that they have a load of internationals coming back into the setup uh, who will drive standards. And look, this, this kind of loss can come at a perfect time for them coming into the European competition uh, as well, Rory. So this might work well for them, but disappointing for a lot of guys who might not see an opportunity again for quite some time. Jonathan, like Leo Cullen comes in afterwards and says, you know, Leo Cullen sometimes can talk for 20 minutes and say nothing, but when he wants to say something, he's very pointed and, and he gets his message across very well. And he talked about his own players believing their own hype a little bit and, and, and reading into what people like me are writing about them and, and, and believing in their own reputation rather than performances. I mean, does that give other teams a glimmer of hope? Do you think to think he's right that maybe that Leinster, you know, those players in the second string, who you know, there was opportunity on the line to get into the, the, the Champions Cup team there, are kind of taking their eye off the ball a bit? Yeah, because, I mean, it's been a huge element and will continue to be a huge element for as long as Leinster are providing 12 starters to the Irish team. The fact that Le- Leinster will rely on their, not to be disrespectful, second and third string players more than any other team in this league because they're going to lose more players to international duty than any other team in the league. And traditionally, to look at it from an Ulster perspective, it's not really mattered who they've been playing. Like Ulster have been beaten by all manner of Leinster sides, whether it be full strength, whether it be half strength, or whether it be essentially a full second string. And to come in afterwards, I think you're 100% right. Like Leo's tone doesn't seem to change that much. But if you focus in on what he was saying on Saturday, like he was... Properly, properly annoyed. The, the quote that stuck out to me was, that's their chance gone. Like, it was almost ruthless in the way it was delivered. Of basically, like, you know, I gave these boys the opportunity and this is what's happened. So it could be a long time before you see some of those players that didn't deliver. But the reality for the other teams in the league is that Leinster are going to have to play sides like this again in the competition. There's going to be, you know, those games in the middle of the Six Nations, as an example where there's two rounds of fixtures in the dying weeks, like you're going to see a similar sort of team if admittedly some of those boys probably aren't going to be involved now. Look, what do you make of Harry Byrne in general? Look, he came on off the bench, didn't go well for him. 
it's the second Leinster appearance of the season. The first one was against Zebra in like the second or third game. And, and he was really poor for 20 minutes before he got injured and got replaced by Johnny Sexton. And then he comes off the bench against Argentina for Ireland. Looks really good. Now, admittedly, he was against 14 men for a good while and it was a bit of a nothing second half. He's third choice for Ireland, but he's also third choice at Leinster. And he's in a really strange place because he's in the same place in the pecking order in two organizations, but it means a lot more for Ireland. You know, like Jack Hartley's coming to the, the RDX next year, sorry, next weekend with his uh, his eyes on that prize. I'm sure Billy Burns was coming going, I'm better than this guy as well. Like, what's this guy done? We can see the talent, but he, he does make big errors sometimes. Where do you think he's at? And, and how does he get the games that he needs to get to the level that where he actually is the Irish third choice? Because at the moment, he's ahead of players who are playing better than him, I think. He's not going to get those games. There's a huge problem there. They have, as far as I can see, they've got four really premier out halves. One of them playing 12 and uh, three of them kind of piled up and Johnny Sexton is going to get all the big gains because he's still quite a bit better than everyone else. It's that simple. Um, so they've got a real problem there. Um, and the thing is as well, like, as you say, they're not guaranteed to start in any of those other provinces if they were to go there. Um, so it's a big problem there because they're not going to pick anyone who goes abroad either. So I just don't know where you get these guys get game time. It's a huge problem because there's real talent there. Like I was really, the, the, the most impressed I've been with Harry Byrne has actually been that Argentina game when he came on. I just, his ball handling ability, I didn't realize, I don't think I, maybe I haven't watched him close enough. I, some really snappy handling. Um, but the problem for him is that he's not going to get the little nuances that you get from being under pressure week in, week out, playing URC, playing European Cup that help you build towards creating a, you know, an international career and a successful one. You have to have time in the pocket. It's that simple. Um, he's not like Ross Byrne, to my mind, still a very solid player and a good player. He's going to get game time there. Um, I think Frawley, I think the more they... I just don't know how no one is looking at him at 10. I think he's a really snappy player. Um, had some lovely touches in a difficult uh, day for Leinster uh, at times. Looked like the only one who could kind of break it, you know, break them up in the, in the tight exchanges with ball handling or with a bit of creativity at times to me. I don't know. I, I think it's a real problem area because there's loads of talent there. But Harry Byrne specifically, look, he's going to have these kind of games. The problem is for him, he probably mightn't get another game for three or four, you know? So we think like he doesn't get to go out next week against Connacht likely. And... Um, and kind of rectify it and go, Jesus, you know what? I can't be that loose again. I've got to look at my game and say, and be a bit more conservative here. Yes, of course, I want to express myself, but you're just not going to get that. So I just don't know how you build any kind of continuity. Um, and that's a big problem for him going forward in his development. Like, Jonathan, at some point, Harry Byrne, who I, who I do rate, I'm being critical of him, but I do rate him. He's got to use one of these 20 minutes to basically get ahead of his brother. Like, he has to be ruthless. I know he's his big brother, but he's got to be really really ruthless about it and, and come on in one of these 20 minutes and, and win a game against Ulster or against Connacht this weekend like Johnny Sexton's injured this is his chance to to, to say forget the brother it's about me now but that's 100% it because it's not the hindrance is not so much in being second choice to Johnny Sexton the hindrance is in being third choice because different selection teams there's always going to be slight differences of opinions but like we have seen it in Ulster, as an example, where Tom O'Toole being Ulster's second choice tight head hasn't hindered him internationally. We've seen it to a different degree with Jameson Gibson Park. It's looked like at times where he's been behind Luke McGrath. But that might not be the case moving forward. But the fact of the matter is that those guys are still getting the important minutes, whether they be off the bench. But Luke said it there, like Harry Byrne is now through 
performances like that isn't going to get up to being second choice. And the fact of the matter is Ross Byrne has shown for Leinster that he can win those games. Like, you know, Ross Byrne essentially won a European Cup quarterfinal for, for Leinster. And that's something that Harry Byrne is yet to be able to show that he can do in these cameos. So you're right, he has to take this opportunity to show that he can be second choice. Nobody's saying that he has to dislodge Sexton in the immediate future, but you're not going to get the minutes that you need and the development that you need unless you're regularly getting those performances off the bench. Well, I was down in Galway on Friday night for the Connacht's win over Ospreys, and those teams are the next opponents for, for Leinster and Connacht. Leinster host Connacht this weekend and Ulster. Uh, go to the Ospreys, Jonathan. They go to right? the Ospreys, yeah. They go to the Ospreys. Um, Luke, have you... How often... I know the Ospreys, when they travel, although they had pretty much the same team that beat Munster uh, before the break, can sometimes be off it. And, and I think that they did, did play a part a bit to in, in Connacht's performance. But to see a team play with so much skill in those conditions, and I can't emphasize enough how bad the weather was. I, I think TV did quite do it justice. Like I think it was, it did come across when Jack Hardy put that kick up and it blew back over his head. But it was sheeting icy rain for the entire I, first I, half. I played the, the Felipe Contepomi kick back through the post. I, I know I know those conditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might, they might even know a few worse ones. But, it, but like they, they scored seven tries. All of them were scored by backs. And they were, and most of them were created really, really well. Their handling was so superb, and their attitude and their their ability to play and to attack from everywhere. I I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was it was one of the most entertaining games I've seen in a long time. What did you make of it? Oh, I was so impressed. I like. I think, um, of course, the opposition were 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 poor, um, but Connacht was still excellent, as you said. Like the bravery that it takes to play in those conditions. Um, you know, I think it was it was kind of reminiscent of that Pat Lamb period. You know where they they whenever they got that that whenever they were playing up the wind or up the pitch uh, in the sports ground against the wind they just even five meters from their own line they were just ball playing you know they were just hanging on to the ball um, showed massive confidence at that time and it kind of reminded me a little bit of that in that they were I think they they obviously had said to themselves like we're going to keep playing here or the coaches said you keep playing or I'm going to bring someone else on who will like I, I don't know if that's how the conversation goes but something along those lines had to have been said because. Huge belief, uh, huge accuracy. I think, you know, it's very difficult in those conditions to be throwing some of the passes they were throwing under pressure. Um, I thought they look like they've got a lot of threat as well. Like the, the footwork and the pace out wide, they are difficult to contain. Um, alongside, as I said, that bravery to deliver those skills under pressure, um, really, really impressive. And they'll be a huge challenge. Like, I don't think anyone's going to want to play Connacht, particularly down there. But I don't think Leinster are going to be that happy about playing them this week too because I thought their pack really muscled up well as well. Um, retain the ball in very difficult conditions for, for, for long periods of time with good accuracy around the rook. They look fit. They look strong. They've got a few good carriers in there as well now. They're going to be a handful. Um, and if you let them have the ball for long periods of time, I think they'll punish you actually. I don't think they're going to be one of those teams that the longer it goes on, the phases that they kind of you kind of can snuff them out or their threat goes. I think that's not the case for this kind of team. I think they look like they've got plenty of that. So difficult forever they face. And I think a lot of people playing well and confident. So uh, they're a difficult ass to beat now these days. Jonathan, like they won the league the same year as Leicester won the, league, the Premier the Premier League. And, and they remind me a little bit of that Claudio Ranieri-Leicester team and that they make everyone else look bad. Like their, their budget's lower than everyone else. They're, they're shopping and... You know, they're picking off Mac Hansen, who you know nobody was mapping, and he's suddenly the best winger in the pro in the the URC. You know, Andy Friend is a coach. I think Ulster 
you know, turn their nose up at Andy Friend at one stage when they, when they went for McFarland. You can put me wrong, wrong on that if, if I am. When they're going well and when they're playing the way they do, it's not good for anyone else because why aren't we doing it is what their fans are saying. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting comparison because obviously, especially in light of um, the results in the Aviva about, about a month ago, there was an awful lot of people saying, you know, how can Andy Friend in the same amount of time build a side that can play like this? But I think you touched on it there. Like a huge part of what they're doing obviously is the ethos, but a huge part of it as well is the recruitment. Like their ability to pick up Irish qualified players that haven't really been on anybody else's radar is outstanding. Like Mac Hansen is the guy that's getting um, getting all the headlines and rightly so. And there's an element to it where it just seems like good fortune when you hear stories about, you know, the fella just used to drink in the same pub as Andy Friend's <laughs> son and it makes it sound like, oh, these kind of things just happen. But like, even from an Irish perspective, it's brilliant because you've got somebody that essentially... It sounds like Australia <laughs> we're looking to cap as well now, but Connor have brought him in. And like I really do think that the guy is box office in a way that um not an awful lot of bigger name imports to the ERC have been. Nice interview after as well. It's a bit of James Lowe about him, isn't it? <laughs> box office in that one too. That was quite odd. It was uh what do yeah, you make no. what what do you make of him as a player, Luke? Because he, he reminds me a little bit, he's not, not the same style, but in the way he, he approaches things, his attitude, he reminds me a bit of James Lowe. Yeah, a little bit loose, I think. So interesting to see him in maybe a bigger occasion. Um, but so far, very, very impressed. Looks really up for it. Um, you know, he's uh, opportunistic as well. Like that's something that's really nice as a winger sometimes to, to, that a winger can get you. I don't know, an intercept or can pick something up and, you know, could put someone else away. It's not all about them just finishing. So uh, I like lots of lots of bits about his game. He looks very confident. He's trying lots of things too. Um, and yeah, he looks like a player in form. But like, look, as I said, like these things, James Lowe looks like that too all the time. And then sometimes in the tight stuff, in a really pressurized game defensively, you know, have we seen him really tested against the top brass? Probably not yet. So we wait and see on that one. I think Leinster will be looking to test him out, but all the, you know, in the same breath, I think he'll be looking to get on the ball and show his wares because so far no one's been able to, to stop him. And um, yeah, long may that continue. It's great to watch. I, like, I have to say, I love watching him because he's not just all about him. Like he's quite a good, like yes, he's good top end pace, but it's not like blistering pace. He's able to put other people away as well. Like he's a good rugby player. Like, there are always people you want to have in your team. Yeah, like, I think you saw that a lot in that sort of first passage of play that he ended up scoring. But just his level of involvement throughout, you know, he's, he's more than just a finisher. Like, his link play, which is obviously so important to what Connor are trying to do, is really impressive as well. You mentioned the big occasion, Luke. I mean, let's go to Friday night and, and Connacht back at the RDS, having won there themselves. Um, I think it was earlier this year, certainly last season. Since then, Ospreys, Munster and Ulster have all won at the RDS. And I would have thought in your time, you know, you very rarely lost in, in, in Ballsbridge. That's surely a, a, a serious point. very high-quality players back in the day. <laughs> but, like, um, it's surely a, a, that's a bit of an insult to this Leinster setup. That's something they should be ramming home this week. I know they'll be going through the processes and stuff, but it should be a point of pride that you're losing home games that you would ordinarily expect to win. And, like, it's easy to say there'll be a reaction, but with, with all the internationals back, how much of a reaction are we expecting from this Leinster team? And how dangerous is that for, for Connacht if they're walking into a bit of an ambush? 
Yeah, the, the old D Fortress, uh, Rory. <laughs> um, not looking so strong at the moment. Look, I think, uh, yeah, there's always a danger that you get a bit of a backlash. I think I think Leinster probably felt a bit of that from Ulster. I mean, that was a, that was a tough loss, like they, you know, in, in the Aviva uh, against Connacht. So I think, I'd say Leinster just probably didn't understand, you know, professional players, professional sports people after a big loss. Like it's all very, very dangerous facing a kind of a wounded animal in that sense. So Leinster will be that this week. Um, they might have a few new bodies back in, maybe a more kind of, I suppose, frontline Leinster team in place. Um, and I, yeah, you would expect a backlash. I mean, I think all week in training, like there will be, I, I can imagine it being very feisty in there. And yeah, I mean, if they're not looking at that record, they should be because four in a year is a lot for this Leinster team because I think they are still the team to beat in the competition. And four home losses, albeit not in the same, you know, kind of uh, season uh, as such is still something that, you know, shouldn't happen, I don't think, um, if they're on the ball. Uh, because, I st- as I said, I still think they're the best team in the competition, um, you know, when they're fully firing. So uh, it'll be disappointing. But, like, look, if you're loose, it just shows you, like, teams are going to come with a plan against you. Like, you get to see Leinster every week, and now they've got a few blueprints to see how you go about beating Leinster. It doesn't become so difficult to do that anymore uh, if you have a few people. And as well that kind of belief that other teams would get from saying, well, look, we just saw Ulster go there, um, you know, who lost to Connacht. Like, I mean, if you're Connacht this week, you say, well, look, hang on, we beat these guys, you know, by, you know, 20, 30 points a couple of weeks ago. Like we can definitely beat Leinster and we've obviously just beaten them this year already as well. So it's a challenge. And, you know, once people get a little bit of belief, you know, it, it becomes even more challenging to, to make that kind of place, uh, to make the RDS a tough place to go or a place that teams you know, can't stand going because they just have such bad experiences. So uh, their backs are against the wall, you know, and if they're not feeling that, if there's not that kind of passion uh, to go and correct things, they could get punched again because Connacht are really informed. Like, I wouldn't want to be playing Connacht at the moment. Jonathan, what do you reckon? Do you think Connacht can pull this off? Our Leinster now, soft touch in Dublin. Is that the, is that the word on the street in the URC? <laughs> I mean... I think it's interesting because we have seen an awful lot of strong home records not be as strong over the past 12 months, the theory being that it's been because of playing games behind closed doors and stuff, but that obviously doesn't apply to to Saturday, which was a good crowd in the RDS. But I wouldn't underestimate the fact that that was Leinster's first derby of the season as well. Like, I think we saw that in the Connacht-Ulster game where Connacht had played Munster the week before. I think we saw elements of that, even though there was a long break. Um, on Saturday with Ulster playing Leinster having already hit that uh, or realised the emotional pitch that you need to hit in these derby games and Leinster I think probably got caught cold a little bit by that but that's not going to be the case this weekend because I don't think they're under any illusions now that it's one thing beating the rest of the league but to come into these derbies I think you do need a different level of performance at the minute. 100% 100% like I couldn't agree with you more sorry to interject there Rory but I just think that's such a good point like even Hume's interview after the game like he's thinking about that Irish jersey he's frustrated he's not getting in he's playing against Robbie Henshaw uh, there's a load of Leinster guys who've gone up to Ulster to try and get back in the Irish team because they weren't the first choice in Leinster like all those kind of things like if you're not up for these games and Connacht have a load of guys through their squad who think that they should be in that Irish squad particularly the likes of Jack Carty and a number of others we could name so you know, as you said, the emotional pitch in these games, you have got to show up every single time in these interpros. You cannot go half-mast into these things because you will get punished. And rugby is still, regardless of how many quality players you have in the outside channels, 
about fronting up physically and putting down a marker. And there's nothing more, you know, you have to be emotionally in the right place to do that. Jonathan, just we'll, we'll finish up now with, with Dulcer's game against the Ospreys, which is one of those fixtures that's less glamorous. It falls in between Leinster away and Claremont away. And I was interested in listening to Pete Wilkins down in Connacht, their senior coach today. He said the Ospreys win was most important because they're the ones that Connacht switch off for. So to, to be honest, for, they, they naturally are on it for the derbies, but they, they slip it for the, the kind of B fixtures sometimes. How important is this one for Ulster to keep that continuity going, to get a few bodies back? I know Balakoon did media yesterday. I don't know if Henderson's back, but to go and win again and to, to build on it in Wales, like a place where Munster lost, you know, in October. So it's not an easy place to go, um, whatever the Liberty's called these days. You know, how, how big is this? Yeah, over at the Swansea.com stadium, I think it's called. It, yeah. It's called now, according to this week's <laughs> knowledge. <press release>. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that until uh, about two days ago, but that is what it's called now, apparently. I think it's massively important because at the end of the day, if Ulster go over there and lose, and you mentioned the fact that Munster lost there already this season, Ulster lost there just prior to the uh, start of the pandemic, which up until that Connacht game had been their worst performance in a very long time. And at the end of the day, they could be going into uh, Europe as great as their performance against Leinster was, having lost two games out of three, if they don't show up and win this game. So it's massively important as a launching pad. You know, Dan McFarlane has been using this analogy of uh, the first block being the starter, this being the beginning of the main course, and what follows after this nine, ten-week block of being the dessert. And... The fact of the matter is that the way that the league is structured, the Irish teams have so many challenges over the festive period that a loss of form in these games, if you take your eye off the ball, it looks massive then down the line whenever you're having to play as Ulster or three derbies over Christmas, all losable games. So it doesn't take many unexpected games to not go your way in a league that's been shortened for you to be looking at that as, you know, the difference between say a home quarter final or an away quarter final or, you know, rankings in these top eight playoffs. Well, Luke, what do you think? What are our predictions for this weekend? I think, I think Ulster to back it up. Um, I would love to see Henderson back in there because despite how bad Leinster played, I think Sam Carter might've been the worst player on the pitch. Um, so I think he makes a huge difference to them. Um, but I think they, I, I'd like to see them back it up. Uh, I really think there's a few guys there who will have gained a massive amount of confidence off that. And um, the two nines are a very strong point for them as well. John Cooney being back is good, even though I think Doak is, is certainly, you know, going to be an absolute cracker of a player. But both of them together make it a really... It's, it's great to have two really good nines. I really think that about, you know, just as a, as a rugby team. Um, I think Leinster will bounce back. Um I think they'll bring in a few of the big guns and I think they might have too much for Connacht, but that'll be a really difficult game for them. Um, conditions dependent. I think if it's a fast game, it might even be tighter, which is kind of saying something. Um, like if the weather's decent, but if it's not, I think Leinster might have too much in the pack for, for, for Connacht um, and they'll be hurting from last week. And then uh, Munster, are we, is that going ahead? I'm not... No, Munster, uh, Munster, Munster are off. Munster, that's done, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's the, yeah. So um, look, that's my thoughts on those two games. But... Um, yeah, like very important for Ulster to back that up now. I mean, they really need to be on the ball because Ospreys will obviously be hurting as well. So, um, yeah, I, I do hope they do kick on now. Uh, it, it'd be really disappointing if they don't do that. And it would set them up nicely with Vermeulen coming in. Um, you know, maybe if Henderson's not in this week, you know, the week after, it really bolsters that pack. 
Um, and they've got a huge fixture against Claremont there that they need to be right up for. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all kind of, you know, sets up really nicely for them if they play well this weekend. Watching Ulster, or Jonathan, very quickly, are you agreed on an Ulster-Leinster double this weekend? Yeah, I can't see Leinster losing, uh, losing twice in the RDS in six days. And I think Ulster um, should have too much for Ospreys, assuming that they uh, don't make a massive, massive improvement from uh, from what they put out there on Friday. Because as good as Connacht were, I thought they were really fairly poor, to be honest. Look. Well, that's thanks very much. Yeah, unfortunately, there is no Munster game this week. And I think I speak for everyone when we wish them all the best and hope they get home safe and sound in the next day or two and, and to those who are left behind that they get through the next period because it's going to be pretty tough for them. Um, hopefully Will also is on the men and is back to present next week. But that's all for, uh, for us this week on the left wing. You can t- keep in touch with us on Twitter during the week with all your rugby gripes and comments. And you can listen and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Independent.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Murray O'Connor and thanks for listening. <laughs>